0: Welcome to the WA Property Q&A, the podcast where I explore the ins and outs of buying property in Western Australia. I'm your host, Peter Fletcher, and each week I interview local property experts to help you to develop a deep understanding of the nuances of buying property in WA. From market trends to legal considerations, no topic is off limits. But before we dive in, a friendly reminder, while we provide valuable information, It's important to note that nothing discussed in this podcast should be construed as personal investment advice. Always remember to seek the appropriate professional advice for your specific circumstances. Now, let's get started and unlock the secrets to successful property buying in WA. Welcome to the WA Property Q&A Podcast. My name's Peter Fletcher and with me is Jason Cotton. And uh, we're property professionals. I'm a buyer's agent, and Jason, you're a building inspector. a building inspector. And Jason's a very good building inspector, too. Now, last episode, we talked about fluffy battens, hairy timber, chemical delignification, call it what you want, and discussed that at at length. This week, we wanted to talk about non-structural defects. Now, these are the things that aren't going to be a reason why you could terminate a contract but could affect the cost of maintaining a home or it could affect the value of the home. Now, I'm just going to put this in context because from a a contractual point of view, most contracts in WA have uh, used the REWA offer and acceptance. It's called the contract for sale of land by offer and acceptance. And most of those offering acceptances include a, an Australian standard pre-purchase inspection for major structural defects annexure. And that is provides the buyer with a degree of protection if there is a major structural defect noted. Now, it's really important to note here that it is only for major structural defects. And most people, they, they look at a home and they go, there's a crack in the wall or there's a, Jason, give me another one that looks bad, but it's not.
1: Moisture around the shower, internal wall?
0: That's a really good one. Yeah. They they see this moisture and they go, oh, the house is going to fall down and it's terrible. And it's not a major structural defect, therefore they can't get out of it. And they're the ones that we want to talk about today, yeah? You okay with that, Jace? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about major structural defects, Jace, in terms of what they are and what they look like.
1: Okay, so, well, a major structural defect is going to be something that is uh, an item or building element that for a start is load-bearing, so mm-hmm. rafters, internal load-bearing walls, um, footings, foundations or footings under the, under the ground. Uh, and then any load bearing up up from there on those elements, um, including external brick piers supporting uh, in line or under the same roof carport structures with the roof framing, uh, which come up uh, only a couple of days days ago on an inspection that I had undertaken down around the manger area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we really it's it's limited to really load bearing structural elements.
0: Now, in the the rework major the, this annexure. I'm just going to read this out because it's important. Because most people, when they when they buy a property, they don't read this annexure thoroughly. And in fact, it, I would venture to say that most real estate agents don't even read it. So, major structural defect is is um, is defined there, and it says means a fault or deviation from the intended. Structural performance of a building element and is a major defect to the building structure of sufficient magnitude where rectification has to be carried out in order to avoid unsafe conditions, loss of utility, or further deterioration of the building um, structure. And then it goes into a whole bunch of exclusions to what is considered to be a major structural defect. Now, what is interesting is that. That clause is basically a copy, almost word for word, for what is in the in the Australian standard. and that's the this is the document that tells you, Jason. That's
1: right. so that's australian standard forty three, forty nine point one slash two thousand and seven. so it hasn't it's been around since two thousand and seven, this particular document, and that's the pre-purchase inspections, residential buildings.
0: yep, yep. and so, All the inspections that are done for, for, um, for the purpose. Oh, I'm waving this paper around. (laughs) (laughs) Good Jason. Shading (laughs) me out of the, out
1: of the podcast, mate. (laughs) Oh, sorry, mate.
0: I don't mean to. (laughs) I'll shade myself out. So the thing is that in this standard. It has two definitions. One is a major defect, which is a defect of sufficient magnitude where rectification has to be carried out in order to avoid unsafe conditions, loss of utility, or further deterioration of the property. And then there's another definition called structural defect, which is a fault or deviation from the intended structural performance of a building, uh, building element. And the REWA form puts those two together. So, and therefore it limits the defects that a buyer can get out on, because the buyer can only get out on a structural defect, not a major defect. A major, they can only get out on, although they've only got recourse where there's a major structural defect, not a major defect.
1: Correct, yeah. It's a little bit, it's an extended definition really in the rework contract, because it really probably ought not need to have major written in front of, because a structural defect is a structural defect. Hmm. So they've added that word major. I'm not sure why, because we can define a structural defect.
0: Yeah, well, they're pulling it straight from the Australian standard. But anyway, it is what it is. So, major structural defect. Now, there's a whole bunch of, there's about, I don't know, 15 different um, exclusions to major structural defect. Now, let's go through them, because each of them can be quite expensive to fix up in their own right. Start with the big one. And this is the one we talked about last episode. Roof plumbing and roof covering. What does that mean?
1: Roof lining, gutters, flashings, keeping the weather off the structural um, components from the building.
0: Okay. So we're talking tiles. We're talking... Colour
1: bond, zinc loom. We're talking cladding of any particular type, whether it be existing old school asbestos or... SIP panels, for instance, mm-hmm.
0: on those lines. Yep. And there's an argument to say that battens are also included in roof covering?
1: That's correct, yeah, because they're, they're specifically designed for the roof lining and roof covering.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So they are not included. And worth noting, roof plumbing, because you often see, don't you, Jace, roof plumbing, like that. that's, we're talking guttering there, aren't we?
1: And flashings and... What's what those those parts of the building roof cover that are designed to move water off the roof and away to the downpipes?
0: Yep. So flashings. You what? What are what are they? Just describe them.
1: So if you look up at a, a roof near a window right now, look out the window at the next door neighbour's house, and you might see a pitch and an opposing pitch, and between those two, you've got a valley. Yep. And in that valley would be metal flashing. Or if you look up at any item that penetrates through a roof will have flashing around it. So vents. Chimneys. Um, evaporative coolers, chimneys, anything that penetrates through, through the roof cover will have a, some type of flashing around it.
0: Yep. And they could be rusted out. Yeah. But there's nothing that the buyer can do under this an- annexure because they're
1: typically no, um, I would say not in those instances, but we, we do draw some attention to those deteriorations if there's... An ongoing effect, for instance, in the middle of winter, when I've walked into a property with the agent, we stepped straight through the door and water was pooling on the floor in the foyer, dripping straight through the ceiling. Mm. And we looked straight at this, looked around and went, right, let's get someone in to fix this. That was our, the first thing we saw when you opened up the door. Now that, that, you can't hand a building over in that condition to a new buyer.
0: Or no, we'll just sell it as having a water feature.
1: And <laughs> the foyer. In the foyer, yeah.
0: No, you're, you're right. In terms of this annexure, it's it's bracketed out. So, you know, it can be broken, but there's nothing they can do about it because it's not a major structural defect.
1: That's how it's written. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. All right. And plum- and gutters, they're the bad ones, aren't they?
1: Gutters? Well, it really depends. I mean, they're, given the age of the building, If not, not being maintained. If you're not cleaning out um, the gutters of debris, it doesn't take long for them to become pretty funky from new uh, if they're not maintained properly.
0: And there's a, what, three to $5,000 yeah. job to fix them up?
1: Yeah, they're there are thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Depending on how much you want to repair or if it's a total replacement or just in part.
0: Yeah. Next one's a general gas, water and sanitary plumbing and electrical wiring. Well, they're pretty standard. They're not structural. That's right. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, the list you're reading from is all non-structural.
0: <laughs> but a lot of people would think Things like, okay, well, where here we go, non-structural damp issues. We see this causing problems in deals all the time where the inspector will go, there is damp evident in the hallway adjacent to the bathroom. And the buyer goes, oh, there's, dry, there's damp and they freak out and they want to get out of the deal. Sometimes they do through tricky means, but it's not structural, is it?
1: Primarily, it's not. We're looking at, a, at masonry walls, which by virtue are designed to have some capacity to deal with moisture mm-hmm. and, and remain a solid structural component. Uh, we, you only have to look at the outside of every double brick home, and there's double bricks on the outside of the building. They cop weather all day long through winter. It's, you know, we're not pulling down external brick walls. Mm-hmm. We're maintaining them. We're doing some maintenance work. You know, we're putting some gradients around the outside of the walls to have the water flow away, so it doesn't soak in around. And we try to maintain garden beds with um, some waterproofing if they're up against the side of the building, and move reticulation away from the sides of buildings. Uh, those sorts of things are all part of maintenance on a property
0: because water is a is a is the enemy of a building. You're right.
1: It really is. It can cause really significant issues if it's left unaddressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big, big issues. And in, in health issues if it's left ongoing because of moisture and humidity being created through winter and you get mould from damp ceilings in, in areas like bathrooms with, say, no insulation and heat lamps, um, that, that can be a big issue. Mm-hmm. In apartments, two-storey apartments and things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what sort of damage can, I, can gutters, you know, gutters that are broken and, and leaking, what, what sort of damage can that cause?
1: There's a few different types. It depends if you've got eaves or there aren't any eaves as well. And and now that gutters are slotted to allow for overflow so they don't flow back backwards to the lower edge and into the um, eaves or into the top of the masonry if there's no eaves. I have seen it also where we've got a second story clattered external home wall home and and have not had they they don't have eaves and the water has overflowed back into that wall and caused pretty significant um, damage into the gyrock walls internally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mm. that's something I've seen that come up um, once actually and uh, I did the inspection during the summer and then I got a call, you know, halfway through the next winter and it happened to be just a couple of years ago when we had one of the biggest winters we've ever had with a lot of rainfall and they're blocked gutters, they're not draining away properly and some water had flowed back into the internal chip rock walls, timber studded walls and it caused a lot of problems.
0: And long-term they can cause um, some pretty bad have some pretty bad impact on a structure. It, with a, um, a timber home on, on timber stumps, so if, if you've got water constantly flowing on those stumps, the weight of the wall tends to push the, those external stumps down and then you end up with bowed, bowed floors?
1: Yeah, that's, there's a tendency, but I, I think that's more about what's happening, not with the soil or with the moisture content in the soil, but what's happening with the timber stump below the soil line. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you can dig away uh, around those timber stumps and expose timber rot. So we've got some timber rot occurring, then we're going to get natural subsidence of the, or or some dropping of those stumps around where the timber rot is.
0: And the timber rot's caused because Because of the moisture.
1: Yeah, because of poor, um, you know, poor flow aways from those areas.
0: Yep. 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 Now tell me if somebody's looking at a house because it, it, it's, it's going to come up in the in the inspection report, but it's too late at that stage. If somebody's looking at a house, what sort of indicators would say that the, the gutters are, are a problem?
1: Well, if you've got eaves, you can definitely look up and have a look at the discoloration around the eaves. Uh, also, in those areas, have a look at the downpipes because the connections to the downpipes within the eaves are problematic as well. And you can't see that. But if you look up, you can see where those connections are from the outside and and the downpipe on the inside coming down the wall from the eave, and you can see, you know, a stain around that, that area, and that'll be a, a leak. So, at one So of the you you'll
0: ones. see a, a, like a brown stain and black, mouldy sort of discoloration along through the eaves. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. more of a, more of a brown stain,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. mm. and that's unhealthy. You know, that that's something that
1: oh, it's not so much unhealthy. I mean, that's out, out exposed in the air. You're not going to be breathing that in.
0: What I, what I mean is, it's unhealthy for the building. Long term. Over
1: a long term, over a long period, because you will get eventually get um, deterioration of the material, cracking. You'll get where the timber is where it's been nailed in. You'll get the nails loosen or corrode out, and the eaves sheets drop away. Yep. Yep. So it just becomes a, more, a a greater maintenance issue in the long run.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And with with gutters, I, I would say that if you can see a hole in the gutters, if you can see any rust along the bottom of the gutters, you, you've probably got a problem.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so usually they're rusting through by that stage because you'll see bubbling of the paint underneath and that's corrosion coming all the way through from within the gutter itself.
0: Yep, yep. And these are things that a buyer can look at themselves. They don't need an expert to go out there to, to, to look at that, do they?
1: No, and then they can make an assessment when they're looking at putting an offer on or even if that property has too much maintenance for them to deal with, it's not going to be within their budget once they've bought the property.
0: I was saying to my crew as I was coming out this afternoon to do this episode, you know, in in a hot market, there's you know, you multiple offers even even on dumps. There's multiple offers. So, well, what's the pur- purpose in knowing that there's a, a place has got you know leaking gutters? Well, there's a very good purpose, and that is, at least you know what you you're getting into. At least you know that you know, over the next twelve months, you probably should be replacing the gutters, three to five thousand bucks, in rough terms.
1: Right. Yeah. You, you need a contingency, don't you? Because if you decide to buy a property to develop that site in three years' time and in two and a half years' time, you're not anywhere near that target and you've let the property continue to deteriorate, then it's really going to affect the value of uh, in a rental market. Yeah. Um, I, I know it's crazy at the moment with 0.7% vacancy, but mm. but it can take you a little bit off the top of what you're going to get back on a, yeah. a rental.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Have we talked enough about Gutters.
1: Gutters yeah let's throw okay. that into the gutter <laughs> kick it aside
0: <laughs> oh my god now the next one is decorative finishes such as plastering painting and tiling so I think that's fair to say that they're they're non-structural
1: yeah finishing they're all finishing elements
0: yes so you know if, if there's tiles falling off the bathroom walls if there's you know paint peeling is bad luck
1: it's what you see is what you're going to get really, isn't it? You can, yeah. see, you can see what's going on there. If you've walked around in the property during the home open and you've identified these things as you've walked through, then you can walk in and make an offer with that knowledge.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's important to – like so, some people, I'm sure, they buy properties on the belief that you – as a property inspector is going to come through and identify all the defects and they're going to be able to get out of the deal if there's a lot of defects. But not, that, not, that not, is that is not the case. Often that's probably
1: a, a bit more of an extreme example. The, the, what I often get from my end is once you've identified all of these defects, can we now get a reduction in the price? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's we,
0: more. And we see that, you know, we're at the, the next stage to you where, the, the, contra- where the, the inspection report comes to us and then the buyer starts saying, Can we get, you know, like 20 grand off the purchase price because it needs new tiles, new painting, new, you know, carpets and stuff like that? And the answer is always no. Yeah. Horses bolted. That's right. So it's important people walk through a home and and look at these things before they make an offer so that they're making an informed offer. All right. Now, the next one is general maintenance or spalling of masonry or fretting mortar. Now that sounds pretty bad. Fretting mortar, spalling masonry. Tell us about that.
1: So yeah, that, that's related to moisture affecting the the materials there. So we see that it's really common around the properties built, you know, prior to the 1970s where there aren't any down. Well, the downpipes discharge directly to the sides of the buildings, and then you've got garden beds right up against the building as well, with reticulation. And so we what we've got is occurring. You, and I, again, I looked at this uh, in a property yesterday up, up, in, um, up in Wembley, and it's a really old property. hasn't been maintained. What you see is what you're going to get. And around all of the areas where the downpipes are discharging directly against the, you know, the beautiful brick, you've got spalling. Not spalling, you had fretting of the mortar. Mm-hmm. So oh, t- typically you've been looking at repointing.
0: Yeah. So I've got uh, fretting mortar on on our house. Um, there's, there's a patch of the wall. It's quite high up as well. It's, you know, well away from the garden. It is probably, you know, two or three feet above the ground, you know, a metre above the ground, and the mortar is fretting. And from what I understand is that, uh, especially in older homes, the, the style of mortar they used back in the 1950s was, didn't have enough lime or it had too much lime or... Not enough cement. Not enough cement. All right, yeah, there you go. That's what, what yeah. And so you've got to go through and repoint that. But it's not a big operation though, is it?
1: No, like it's, it's a maintenance item. It's, it's like looking at a you know, 1970s home uh, concrete tile and looking up at the roof cover and say, well, now it's time to reseal and paint the tiles mm. and give it another 25, 30 years. But if we don't do it in the next five years. The weathering and corrosion of those tiles may mean that it, it, that's not an option now. It's full roof cover replacement. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, yeah. It doesn't get to that extent with because we, we can see, you can drive up through some of those you know, suburbs like Jindana and those areas where you've got your beautiful 1915 red brick homes and they're all repointed. And none of those had downpipes down into, um, into soak walls either. Mm. Um, but, that, yeah, typically it, we're looking at all maintenance, keeping an eye on, on those areas. Your wall, though, that one wall, particularly if it's high up on the wall, is that, which direction is that wall facing? East. Facing east. Mm. So, it, yeah, okay, so facing east, getting a bit of a morning sun, but not yeah, much in the afternoon.
0: Uh, hardly. Mm. Shaded? Uh, uh, yes. On
1: the skinny side of the house? Yes. Yeah, so you, that would be shaded and, and staying quite damp all day long, really, through mm. winter.
0: Yeah, possibly.
1: And you're not going to get the temperature of the – temperatures aren't going to get up above sort of 10, 12, 14 degrees through the day.
0: The point here is that fretting mortar – unless it's been left unattended for a long, long time and the bricks are all starting to cave in on each other, which I've seen, you know, the, the walls actually started to collapse because the, the more, there's just no mortar there anymore. It's not a structural issue.
1: Again, we t- have to take that back a little bit and ask or have a look and say, is that load-bearing? So for the most part, double brick walls are the external wall that is a, is a, is a skin, it's there, mm-hmm. to protect, it's there to protect the internal wall from becoming a, a, a deteriorating, a load-bearing wall. But the examples that I've given on those 1950s homes um, and the ones that you're probably thinking about too, uh, those, the rafters are um, load-bearing on top of those external walls. So that can have an effect um, with those particular style of buildings back around the you know 1920s sort of to about the nine, 1950s. mm mm-hmm. So that external wall isn't, isn't a, just a facial wall, it, it is load-bearing.
0: Again, there's something that a, a home buyer can check for themselves, can't they?
1: On those homes, you could because you can look up, there, there generally aren't any eaves and you can look up and you can see the rafter cutting across the top of that wall and you can see the wall taking that, that load of the rafter.
0: I'm talking the, the fretting mortar. A home buyer can pick that up. Like a, yeah, walking you know, around. You, you just yeah. walk around, and if you see like a powdery, the mortar's sort of powdering, and they so, it sort yeah. of runs down the wall. And if you run your finger along the, the mortar bed, it crumbles underneath you. Yeah,
1: you yeah. can feel the sand. Yeah. You, yeah. Know, you can feel that coming out.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, you know, at least you know. Like, you can go around and actually look for this stuff. Yep. Okay. Now, there's another one. Uh, fretting mortar rust. I'm sure I've missed one. Ceilings. Ceilings. That's the one I was chasing. That's
1: a really common area too. Uh, we're looking at a lot of maintenance or maintenance and upkeep.
0: Ceilings are, ceilings are like the number of people that, you know, the number of transactions that you know, matters that we do where the inspector has said ceilings are um, on their way out, you know, they're, they're, what do you call them, bowing or flexing or something? Or yeah, de- there's deflection. Sagging. Sagging, yep. And then they go, it is a, a safety defect. Is that right?
1: It can be listed as a safety defect. I've seen that, and I probably even have done that myself. Yeah. When we've got, and I, I mentioned that example last week about the fellow sitting in the, in the room, in the middle of the room, watching daytime TV, <laughs> eating a bag of <laughs> about a 500-gram bag of Maltesers. <laughs> And the only thing, it was a very large room, and the only thing supporting the ceiling from wall to wall all around was the the cornices,
0: just the cornices. And
1: so when you look at the weight of that ceiling, it's going to go. It's not going to hold up for much longer. And okay, that's, that's a pretty significant safety issue.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you look, when you look at a ceiling, you can pretty like if it's bowed, if it's badly bowed, you can see that it's badly bowed. What else do you see as a you know as a as a problem? Like what? what how can you know if a ceiling's sagging, aside from looking at it and going, oh, that's a sagging ceiling?
1: Some, oh, you can look up and you can see there's like eggshell-style cracking across the ceiling. So we're going to look at, you know, if you're looking at plaster glass ceilings or gyprock ceilings, again, through the early period, sort of the 1980s, gyprock is a new material. Uh, they still hadn't really got it right for the, the pattern for glue and screw. Mm-hmm. And it became, you know, it became a real defined um, installation method a bit later, um, so you can walk through and you can see properties uh, where you've got full sheets bowing like this, and it, it may not be a problem, but it's pretty unsightly. And and you know that it, it is not joined. It's it's essentially from the edges of each of the sheets they're joined. Yes, and they're bowing, and you can see that. You can quite it's quite visible when if you look up and look across the ceiling. So depending on the light.
0: So, yeah, so so what you'll see is a is a bit of a like a an indent where the where the fastening is and yeah. like you'll have a like a, a circle around it.
1: No, and, no, and not quite Pete. It'll be it'll be a straight line. Yeah. Because all of the sheets are oh, just on the straight line. On the jib rock. Line, mm-hmm. the jib rock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll see like a a, a concave. Yes. A curve in it, um, facing down. And and you can see that from that, that angle. But with with respect to the plaster glass. Yeah, that, that has a, a very different characteristic when it comes to um, sagging because for people who aren't aware of the two different t- styles, rocks are flat, are very flat sheets, prefab f- flat sheets, compressed, and they're glued and screwed flat. The plaster glass is set up, so it's a combination of plaster and like a horse hair or fiberglass hairs. Uh, again, it's compressed but, but held up and then with the same type of material, a plaster, and horse hair or fiberglass hairs, which you can, you can buy from Ceiling Fixers, it is made into a, a liquid, like a liquid plaster of Paris, and then laid over the joist and onto the top of the ceilings, and it becomes a glue, like a solid glue, and it's spaced out, evenly spaced out. So they can snap or break, and, and they can snap or break because people have climbed through the ceilings and cracked yeah. off the top of the joists, or they can just naturally let go. And, and that's a very heavy ceiling, the plaster glass ceiling. Yes you can see uh five or six in a line on either side or in a circular style of area maybe a, a couple of meters squared and when you're underneath it you you will see a definite sag yeah. you may not depending cuz these often these are quite high ceilings you know two two point above 2.4 meters often um and you need may need to get up on a ladder and, and use a, a light or something to look across the surface of the ceiling mm. uh, you're not really going to find it difficult to ascertain how bad the ceiling is if you're inside of a ceiling space because ducting, insulation, different things, and getting in access into some roof spaces can be pretty tricky if you're not familiar with doing it. It's yeah. not something I'd advise a homeowner to do is climb through a, a roof cavity looking for these problems.
0: So, so we settled a matter six months ago and, you know, it came through on the, on the inspection report as a, as a major defect. It's not a structural defect. And, uh, you know, like it was a, it was a safety defect because if it, if the ceiling wasn't fixed, it was going to fall on somebody's head and hurt them. And the agent says, nah, get lost. The the seller said, get lost. And, and the buyer was left freaked out, you know, cause they, they, they were looking at the ceiling and they're thinking they've got to fix the, you know, replace all the ceilings and all the rest. But that's not the case, is it? You, you know, my, my mum just replaced or fixed a, a bit of a sagging ceiling in, in her home and it turned out to be quite a cheap operation. I think they, they did it like there's a handy, handyman operation. My brother helped out. I think it might have spent for 500 bucks or something like that to, to get the whole thing fixed.
1: Yeah, that's quite common. That's, and that's one of the recommendations I make as well when I, I note areas like that, have a discussion with the, the buyer, assure them that the, you know those areas are manageable um, and it, the, the cost it's cost effective to get it repaired that way. Using is can be really quite cost effective because especially if they've got um, a lot of experience in the industry and when you're a building inspector, property inspector, you come across a, a lot of decent handymen who don't carry a full trade as a ceiling fixer or, or anything in that nature in the building industry but they've been around in the building industry for a long time and they understand the methods Yeah, and they're, they're Pretty successful at getting those jobs done. Yeah. But like I said, as a building inspector, you know, we know these guys and we, we point people in the right direction.
0: Yeah, And again, it's it's something that it shouldn't freak people out when they see it, but it's just good for them to, for a buyer to, to walk through a property and know, all right, there's, there's sagging ceilings, there's maintenance to be done here. It doesn't have to be done tomorrow, but there's maintenance to be done over the next year or two. In order to just keep things nice and neat and tidy, yeah,
1: that's right, and stop them from failing. Having a ceiling fail during the middle of winter, or you know, we've got heavy, a lot of wind blowing outside, creating pressure, excess pressures within roof cavities and tiled
0: homes and things like that. Yes, yes, yes. Now, Jason, you've brought uh, for with you a couple of uh, I can see them on on the desk here. I want to talk first about your moisture meter because that's the that's the one that like freaks people out about, uh, you know, like the house is going to fall down just because you've got moisture. Show yeah, us so what you've got there. You
1: know? I've got the fairly modest moisture meter. It, yeah. It's a resistance meter. So we're measuring between two points, two metal um, points there, pins. And it picks up, uh, you know, obviously, if there's, it picks up on resistance. So if you're not familiar with how resistance works, um, if we have no pathway between these two points, we have like a high resistance. But if we don't...
0: And if if no pathway means a dry wall.
1: That's right. So we have a small current.
0: If you push that on on here, on this desk, it would be zero.
1: That's right. We have a small current that's transmitted between these two points or can be, between on the pathway. I'll give a little demonstration. I'll move towards the camera. So we're starting out uh, on zero.
0: Yep. There you go.
1: Doesn't focus very well. it doesn't focus. Okay. No, Okay. But just as an example, we start at zero and then we can push out these pins into our fingers and we're made up of mo- a lot of moisture, right? we're a bit like watermelons but with small that's brains. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we can see that rise straight up. And then if we actually wet the finger and then put that on, it goes to an overload setting. So that's, that's fully damp. Mm. So we have a gradient there that we can get a reasonable measure on a property to see how wet things are.
0: So, so just for, for me as a layperson, so – I know I've got one of these because I, you know, I do, uh, you know, look around for properties for people. And so the the way to test this is just to put it against a dry wall or something that you know is dry. It's
1: a wall that's away from bathrooms or external walls or garden beds.
0: Take a An take a reading. Yeah, high up. Yep. Take a reading and then go around to all the rooms that back onto your bathroom or your laundry, and then that's take right. a reading there.
1: So the tip is with this, and this is what all of us in this industry do as property inspectors, building inspectors, I expect this is this is the, the method, is we take a reading along the skirting board behind the two back corners of the shower. Um, so if you're standing in a shower and you've got, you've got your back to the shower, that back wall and the adjacent right-hand wall, so where you're stepping through to go in and out of the shower, the opposite side. So around the skirting, around those areas, and we can get a moderate reading, which might just mean that... It's an infrequently used shower with a little bit of missing grout and then we can get really high readings and that can indicate, and it's really common in in say a three by one where you've got, you know, a a young family or a, a full household and the shower gets used all day long.
0: Yeah. And the we kids can, are splashing around in the bath and…
1: Oh, well, they we're talking about the shower. Yeah, right. Okay. But, but it may not have a bath. You know, yep. that shower is just getting repeatedly used all day long. Mm-hmm. And then we, got, we can have an overload or, or the highest reading on that, which indicates that the shower needs to be regrouted. Now, the second part of testing for moisture is measuring behind the shower taps because this is something that doesn't get seen very often. And we can, we can pick up, again, a very high moisture reading almost in like a pear shape. So from where the shower taps are like that Mm -hmm. and the rear side, it it can, the wall pattern for moisture looks like a pear and it gets very high up at the top. And the reason why that is, is because we have the spindles on the tap handles have O rings. And when you turn a tap off, there's no pressure behind the spindle, but when you turn the tap on pressure, yeah, you get some leakage from through the spindle and that tracks back into the wall.
0: Yeah, and again, that is, yep, you've got moisture there, but it's not a cause for alarm. It's not like a, it's a oh my god, we've got burst pipes or anything like that. It's Correct, just yeah. we've just got some leaky taps or some grouting that's compromised. Maybe at some point you need to strip the whole bathroom, re what do you, um, what do you call it, reseal it and and retile it. Yeah, that's you know, right. Worst case because scenario,
1: new waterproof. Do the whole, you know, if you if you're buying a home that's from the 1980s. And you're looking at moving into this, and you want to reevaluate everything in a bathroom. You may want to pull everything out, strip it all out, new waterproof membranes, um, get it all done correctly, retile it, make sure
0: everything's often the best way. Yeah. Now, now, just I just want to because we've got to go into these things here. I bought something similar, not the same. I bought something similar, I think, for about fifty bucks from Bunnings. Bunnings,
1: that's right. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so this is not an expensive. Bit of equipment. It's not like some sort of specialist equipment that you need a qualification to, uh, to operate. Yeah.
1: It gives you a, it's an indicative piece of equipment. It gives you an idea of what's happening. Great for ceilings as well. Yeah. Someone can walk through a home and look at the ceiling and never have looked at that spot in the five or eight years that they've lived there and, and look up and say, Jesus, I never noticed that. Is that leaking? Yeah. I'm going to get my fandangled little tool here and see if it's wet. Yeah. yeah. And it may not be, and that, may, that stain may have been there since the time you bought it. Yes. Um, but it gives you a good indication if there's a, a, a lead up to a bigger issue. Um, so okay. that's a really good tool. 40 bucks, Bunnings. You can use it all around the home. Um, you can use it on, around windows. You can use it on floor, ceilings, uh, walls around bathrooms and showers.
0: Let's move on. What else have you got here? The ceiling one I'm keen to, to uh, talk about.
1: Oh, to check ceilings? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I've been doing this for a number of years now and I stand up on the top of a ladder and I use a particular torch that gives a square light beam and that enables me to look across the level of the ceiling. And then I can report back to buyers that in some areas there may be some ceilings that are sagging that are going to need maintenance. You're going to need to look at this once you've got the property um, and you're going to maybe want to restrap it. And the reason why this is a good method to to check this is because, like I mentioned before, it's practically impossible to look at every part of the ceiling connecting to joists within a roof
0: cavity. It's just impossible. Especially when it's covered by R5 insulation.
1: But uh, importantly, too, if if you can get through the roof cavity and you do pick up sagging ceilings, you can go directly to that ceiling area if you've got access, clear away and you can see if the ceiling's been repaired. Yeah. So you can actually make an informed comment that there is sagging ceiling, but it has been restrapped.
0: Yep. What else have you got?
1: That one, uh, well let me do a full inspection. This is oh, handy no, Let's as well. let's
0: go with that one that one there. That, All right. So one, we've got I've got one of these as well.
1: Yeah. So this is a little um, PowerPoint tester. And it gives you a, a a reading straight away to indicate if there's um, a missing earth if the the wirings around the wrong way but at the same time you, you're pulling pushing it in and pulling it out and, and you want to know that our uh, powerpoint's not just pushed up against the wall because it's been flopping around for the last 10 years and and again just putting it in and out of a powerPoint you can see if it's safe powerPoint if it's been fixed properly
0: I use one of those for every pre-settlement inspection I do
1: but we don't when we use these we don't claim that we're electricians that's right where It's a
0: functional, it's a functional test.
1: test. That's yes. right. Is it working? Does it look correct? Um, if it doesn't, someone who is a competent person may be required to come back and, and
0: investigate further. So the thing, the point here is that by the time you're testing this, the horse has bolted as far as the contract goes. In well, yeah, From your they, point they, of view? Yeah, they have. The horse has bolted. Right. No, if you report back to them, to a buyer, on your inspection report, multiple alarms on the the on this gadget, it's oh, that's sad, but you know, nothing you can do about it.
1: So even if you find a half dozen powerpoints at unearth.
0: Correct. Because in here, electrical is specifically bracketed out. Now the point we're making here, I think what we've tried to do today is let people know that despite that all of these things are bracketed out of the REWA major structural defects annexure. There are basic checks you can do, a buyer can do, before they make an offer to know what they're buying. And they don't involve, you know, $4,000 pieces of equipment. Eh? Like most of these things, they're you know 20 or 30 or 40 bucks w- worth of equipment and, uh, and, and a sharp eye and, sharp you're, eye, and you're good yeah. to go. Yeah.
1: Particularly around the showers, I mean, that comes up a lot, but you, you can look down when you're walking through a corridor, note where the shower is, look down and look at the skirting board sometimes a skirting board is starting to, to peel away from the wall in that area. And if it's just been painted up, uh, you know, to demonstrate, you know, just for, for the home open, ready for sale, you can still see the bubbling on the wall and you can still see the pushing back of the skirting board. And,
0: and when you tap on the wall, walls that are affected by moisture make a different sound to walls that aren't. You, you can hear the drumminess. So? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you you tap on a, like a, a tabletop, it, it makes a sound and then you tap on a, on a oh, wall, a dead that, it's got a list, this, this sort of a drummy sound to it. Yeah. And you you know, you can almost hear the pattern of where the damage is and you go, okay, there's the, I, I know I've got it on my place. You can, you can tap along the wall, back onto the shower, tap, 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 tap drummy, drummy, drummy. And then further up the wall, it's sounds solid and, and, and hard.
1: Hard. Yeah. yeah
0: hard. Yeah. All right. I think we've covered enough today. They're, the, they're all the, the non structural defects that um, sort of border on maintenance defects that people want to know. This has been good, Jace. Really appreciate yeah. your time. Um, for those of you who want to get hold of you, get you to do an inspection, how do they get hold of you?
1: You can go through my website, selectpropertyinspections.com. Like oh, yeah. You can go through the website. You can call me, uh, you can speak to an agent and ask for the best available inspector and they should have my
0: number. Wow, that's confidence for you.
1: <laughs> I'd hope anyway.
0: Jay, has been great chatting f- with you again and uh, we'll talk to you another time. Thanks, Steve. Okay. See you next week. And that wraps up another episode of the WA Property Q&A. We hope you found our discussion valuable and gained some valuable insights into the world of property buying in Western Australia. Remember, while we strive to provide useful information, it's crucial to consult with the appropriate professionals before making any investment decisions. Don't forget to tune in next week for another exciting episode where we continue to unravel the mysteries of the WA property market. If you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. Until then, happy property hunting And remember to seek the right advice for your personal circumstances. Thank you for listening.